from VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. Oh, man. Back home. I'm tired. It's been a week. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I'm just really exhausted. We have to start with your crisis. I I know. Which you one? Know, you doom scroll through Instagram, through through Twitter these days. You see lots of heartbreaking things, but... Oh, that one. Yeah. Your anniversary night. I know, because I was going to say, some crises turn out to be blessings in disguise. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I'd love yeah. to see that. Not, this, to one. Find Not this one, though. Not this oh, one. Yeah. Just, we had just another crisis, but but this one. And no For one's even a crisis. Follow Adam. Fill us in. Okay, so... Oh, boy. Um, I have a a closet like right when you come into my apartment and we installed we didn't install because I want to be clear it's not like it was you know operator error oh, okay. the shelves were the shelves were installed by a professional and we told them that we were going to use those shelves to store um, bottles of spirits and those shelves were installed above my wine fridge and then put all the way in the closet nice and neat no one has to see it Naomi likes it that way I like it that way God, I really like having a clean apartment. That's all Naomi, though, not me. And uh, and so, although I do do cleaning. I clean. I clean. I'm just saying that, like, she's the designer and makes it awesome. Anyways, so um, we have these shelves installed, and for the last three years, it's where I will store wine, you know, beer, spirits, et cetera. So over the weekend, it was our anniversary, and we had come home from the beach on Sunday, on our anniversary day because we had a dinner reservation, which is actually the uh, sort of reason for the topic Infetus for this podcast. For yeah, today's for today's topic. topic. But uh, we're not going to name the place. We're just going to talk around it. Um, but we went out to dinner and then went and got a drink after dinner because the dinner service kind of was not great. And so we decided instead of having an after dinner drink there, we'd go to this awesome bar, Sunken Harbor Club, and have a tiki cocktail. And then we walked home and we came into the apartment and it was like 1130 and we opened the door and Naomi immediately sees like brown liquid on the floor. Oh, no. She's like, Adam, what's like coming from under the closet? <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. And we opened the closet and the entire shelving unit had ripped off of the wall. Just, you know, the wall is concrete. Wow. So it had been like deeply embedded into the wall, the like the studs into the concrete, all the shelves, about three fourths of the bottles are destroyed. Like my bourbon collection, all basically all of my gin, all of my tequila, a lot of really great wines, every single Amaro I have. Also, what I did learn too is like all these hipsters that are into making their version of like the red Campari with the true beetle like juice. Yeah, that shit really stains and doesn't come off. Like our entire floor (laughs) in the closet and the door at the bottom is bright red and you cannot get it off. I've tried everything. I've tried like bleach, magic eraser, like (laughs) scrubbing with crazy, like it's just completely destroyed. And so we then like we're like okay well I guess what we're gonna do and also, also like we'd had a nice night out right we had had a like a bottle of wine at dinner we had had we had one tiki cocktail each and then we split one with the straws it was real cute guys oh. and uh, <laughs> and so we were, like feeling a little tipsy and we're like okay well now we're tipsy and we're gonna have to clean all this oh. up also it destroyed my wine fridge so the wine fridge oh, is broken no. oh no so uh, we had to clean. All of the like glass. liquid and glass, glass 
everywhere because yeah. a lot of these bottles like shatter. Yeah. Um, it was in our coats because it's also the closet where our coats are and stuff. So to clean all of that up, I was like in the middle of the night lugging trash bags all the so we're on the fourth floor. It's like into the elevator, down the elevator oh, no. to the trash room, trash back up. Then I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. And I took the fridge and threw it out too. So I did it myself because I just got this like burst of strength. I'm like, I'm picking this thing up and I'm getting it out of here right now. It's like completely smashed. I mean, everything, all the shells we had to throw out. We were up to like three in the morning. And then there's this picture we posted on Instagram of like us each having a glass of bourbon. Like three in the morning, it's like, this is what what we had to do. It was like one of the bottles that had survived. We were just like, it was, it was crazy. That's harrowing. Good it thing, was crazy. Good thing you work where you work, though. Yeah. So now you know, if anyone wants to help. <laughs> yeah. I lost really rare stuff too, which is oh. pretty sad. Oh, it's such a bummer. Such a bummer. And now, like, we're in this process, like, deciding, like, do we call a different shelving company and have like different shelves installed? Do we just like scrap the shelves all together and just say, like, I'm gonna have to find a different place to store some of this stuff? Cabinet like, or something. Yeah. yeah. Keith, Keith, our you know, is in the studio right now, pointing himself, saying he'll store it for me. But Keith, I'm not coming <laughs> to the mountain, man. Uh, I could also just store it here at Vine Pair. But like, what would be the fun in having a dinner party and saying I got to go to Vine Pair to get the after dinner <laughs> yeah. drink? Yeah, my li- the spirits collection is in Manhattan. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I'll be back sorry. In two hours. Uh, it was a bummer, man. It was a uh, real bummer. Yeah. And I feel okay. like, though, also some kind of perfect and horrible metaphor for marriage. <laughs> well, no, one of our one of our friends, one of our friends posted on Instagram, like, may this be the glass you break this year. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. God. I was like, thanks, man. It's like, he's like, yeah, it's your 12 year anniversary. You know, you broke the glass on, on year one. Now you're breaking the glass again. I was like, oh, thanks, Goldberg. <laughs> well, what was the bourbon? What was the bourbon you drank at least? Yeah, or tell us the oh, tiki cocktails. Uh, it was so the Something. bourbon I drank was Colonel E. H. Taylor, okay. uh, single barrel. Okay, and well that would the, survive. That's good. Yes, yeah. that was good. And then the tiki cocktails. Okay, so uh, Naomi had the Angostura Colada, mm. which is like Ooh. they invented it at Sunker, Sunken uh-huh. Harbor Club. It's really amazing. And I had the is that like an ounce of Angostura in there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like the Angostura is the spirit, uh-huh. and it's really good. And I had I think it's called the White Devil. Okay, not the White Devil. The White some the White Zombie. Mm. The white zombie, and it's another one that they've run. They've won a lot of awards for, and I will tell you that bar is really cool. Mm-hmm. Like you, Naomi had never been, and I'd only been once before after we'd done a Vine Pair event at Gage and Tolner, and so she didn't know what to expect. And it's just like it's crazy because you come into Gage and Tolner, and it's this like beautiful, you know, chop house, and you go up these stairs, and then you come into this room, and it it's like you're sitting in the hull of a ship, and they're playing waves. <laughs> Like, oh really? Yeah, they're playing like all this, so, like this soundtrack of like waves crashing and stuff, and all these like island grogs, and it's just, it's really fun. Like it, it was, and everyone's dressed in sailor outfits, and it's it's great. I mean, like they take it very seriously, and um, they have a whole like legend behind the bar in the book that's like you know they discovered it behind a false wall when they were you know when they renovated Gage and Toner. meanwhile like everyone knows that actually Sung and Harbor Club started as a tiki pop-up at um, Sinjin's other bar Fort Defiance mm-hmm. but like now it sort of is this legend that they have and it's just it's really cool and I don't know if Joanna you weren't here for, were you here for the 4th of July no no so 4th of July this year like had this really weird feeling in New York like 
early COVID, like every, it was dead. Yeah. Like I think everybody, this was this, this was the year everyone chose to leave the city this weekend. So it was awesome. Like we walked, you would never be able to walk right in at, you know, nine 30 the night before the 4th of July. And it was very easy mm-hmm. to walk in. So yeah, that's what I drank and I lost a lot of liquid. It is what it is. You know, what else are you going to do? Just clean it up and start collecting again, to I guess. To the spirits gods. To the spirits gods. Mm-hmm. I poured I poured a lot out. Not one out, a lot out. <laughs> I, so crazy. Uh, what about you, Joanna? I, yeah, I, it's been a very, very uneventful drinking week for me uh, since being back from Canada. I guess the, the last, well... The last thing I drank there, uh, we went to like a local brewery um, in Ontario called Old F- Old Flame Brewing Co. Um, and I had a hazy blonde beer. I think it was a hazy blonde lager or something like that. There, that was that was good and nice. some sort of a blueberry situation as well, which was fine. Um, and then and then truly like very uneventful. <laughs> like we went to a Sonic for the first time. Ever I saw in my that. Life. How was it? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a strawberry limeade fan. You don't. No, no. You don't understand what all the fuss is cherry about. Cherry limeade. You had a cherry limeade. Well, that's the classic. Oh, that's drink, the classic. Right? That's right. Never you had it before. Don't understand I what the fuss is. Well, I can't remember the last time I had soda. Mm. You know, like true sweet soda. Very pop. sweet. Um, they do throw in some fresh limes, though. Yeah. So that's a nice touch. Nice touch. It gets better as it melts and you mean, dilutes. As it, as it dilutes. Yeah. yeah. It's um, very sweet. Yeah. But so so that was the that's kind of the extent of my drinking the nice. past week. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's terribly boring. Um, Zach, redeem me, please. What have you been drinking? <laughs> well, let's see here. I had a, a few things of interest. I actually, Caitlin and I celebrated kind of an anniversary uh, over this last week as well. We do a, a thing. dating anniversary. Um, well, it's our in what we call our engage anniversary. So the the <laughs> anniversary of when we got engaged. I love um, that. And yeah, and one of the funny things that we sort of decided to do. We had talked about it even before we got engaged because we were very like, like we were very straightforward about what, like what we want in our relationship in a lot of ways, um, and including like Caitlin was like, I don't want you to like get down on a knee and propose, which was cool because I didn't want to do that either. Um, mm. So it was it was not like a uh, you know we it, she knew it was coming. Let's put it that way, as probably many people do. But one of the things that we had agreed on was, you know, she was like, you know, I don't want it to be this thing where, like, you buy me a ring or whatever, and then, like, that's just the deal. She's like, so I want to buy something for you. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. let's talk about what that could be. And so uh, we agreed that what would happen is she would buy a case of wine. And for us, I guess, it's a, 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 <laughs> I'm drinking the wine by myself. Um, but our, our tradition has become that uh, every year on that anniversary – we opened a different bottle from that case of wine. Um, mm. It was, you know, 12 different bottles, not like the same bottle 12 times. Mm. Um, and so this year we had a uh, Jerome uh, Chazot Grand Cru Claude de Vougeot, which, uh, so, you know, Grand Cru uh, Red Burgundy from, uh, I think, 2012 is a vintage. And it was really nice. <laughs> there are like a couple of Red Burgundies in the case. And like, it's probably it's not Caitlin's favorite style of wine. Uh, mm-hmm. And I enjoy it, but it's also to me, one of those things where it's almost like the, to enjoy that kind of Pinot Noir. You almost kind of like part of the tradition is we also obviously like have dinner and stuff like that. And it's, it's actually not like a great, this is going to sound weird. I don't think it's a great food wine because it's like, so especially with a little bit of age, it's like so subtle that you kind of want to just like drink it by itself in a way. And like, focus on the wine and in our lives these days with like two kids and stuff, the dinner table isn't really the place to drink wine that we're going to really like think about and savor. So we had a little bit of it with dinner and then frankly, like the rest of the bottle after the kids went to bed, which was much more enjoyable. Um, 
How many that bottles was, in are you to this case? Uh, so this was six. So we've we've okay. been in our our you know it's been six years since or seven years since we got engaged. I guess um, since we obviously didn't have the case the day we got engaged. Um, we drank other wine that night. And uh, the other thing I had that was really fun, hearkening uh, back to something on from on the podcast a while ago, is I got uh, some samples from Nomadica, which is a canned wine company yes. based in Los Angeles. Their new uh, like limited release. I love Nomadica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're all probably big fans. Uh, and this was their Skin Contact Pinot Gris. So it was my like first ever canned oh. orange wine, which, you know, like welcome to 2022. That's <laughs> cool to me. Uh, and it was really good. And actually, I think a style that works really well in that format um, along with a lot of others but really like expressive of the style like oxidative but not overly kind of uh, nutty had nice kind of floral tones um, beautiful color really fun so that was a a real nice treat as well nice that's great I want to try that yes I do too so today's topic based out of my weekend before the crash So I've been I've been like thinking about this. I thought it would just be a fun kind of conversation. I'd love to hear uh, other people's thoughts as well on this topic. So if you want to email in at podcast at vinepair.com, hit us up and let us know. What is a wine bar? So there's a lot of, you know, that term gets used a lot. Like, oh, this is our new wine bars, our new wine bars, our new wine bar. But like, what does that actually mean? And I guess... What I mean by that is I've gone to a lot of places recently that say they're wine bars, right? This is the you know, the hottest wine bar in Williamsburg. That's where I was. If you can guess, you can guess. <laughs> uh, but actually, they're restaurants. And what I mean by that is like it's really more about the food than the wine. Yes, they might have extensive wine lists, but it seems like everyone lauds them for the food. And often I find a lot of the food – like that they're serving. I know Zach, you have this issue with tinned fish. Oh, do I? Um, which we can talk <laughs> about as well because I mean, there's really actually is bad for the wine. Like at this at this specific bar I was at uh, for our anniversary, like a few of the dishes were so spicy, like so spicy, blew out our palate, and we too are drinking a Burgundy, Zach. Oh, nice. um, you know, and it was this really delicate Pinot Noir, and it it all of a sudden. It went from like prior to having that dish when it came out through the course of the bottle, like prior, like the, the we had really just tasted all the bright fruit and the acidity. That dish came out and like all we could taste was tannin, which was weird. Like it made the wine really harsh yep. and not as delicious. And so I was like, okay, this shouldn't have happened if this was a wine bar. Like if this is actually a wine bar, shouldn't they only be doing dishes that are really great with wine? And I know we try to play this whole game in the world now like, oh, no, like anything can go with wine. I think that's actually bullshit. Like I think that like this idea that like really, really spicy food is okay at these places isn't true. Like if you want to do really, really spicy food, that's fine. You can still have a dope wine list, but then like don't tell me that I'm coming there for a wine bar experience, meaning I think that you – like everything you do – is to my, my is my opinion of a wine bar is like everything you do there is to heighten the experience of the wine. Yeah. Right. So like also at this wine bar, the glassware was pretty crap. Like it wasn't oh, the really glassware. The glassware was terrible. Oh. I mean, and again, this place has like gotten tons of awards. Whatever. I was very surprised. Um, it was like just standard glassware. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm expecting at least you know Gabriel glass, Riedel you know, Zalto something, mm-hmm. you know, I think a place that, that does it very well is like Lalu, right? You know, everyone knows I'm a fan, so I can say I'm a fan again, but like, you know, the, the, they take the wine program really seriously. But do you consider Lalu a wine bar 
or a restaurant? So I, I consider La Lua a restaurant that takes wine seriously. Okay. I think it evolved to that. I think that that was out of necessity, right? I think because I actually think owning a wine bar is really difficult in New York City. Yeah. Maybe it's diff- maybe it's easy in other places, but I think due to rent and everything in New York, it is really hard to actually own a place that is like stems and skins. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've now all been like, I think Simpsons is, is actually the perfect example in Charleston of a wine bar. And I thought we could use that as an example because the three of us have all been there. Yep. Right. He he does some food. I'm trying to think back to the food. that, But we it's, had. it's cheeses and, and some salads. And like he does do like some tin, tin fish. A grilled cheese. Yeah. Had, but right? like he's not trying to do the the standard repertoire that I think every other place, you know, falls into. And look, one of my favorite wine bars in the world that doesn't exist anymore uh, was this Italian wine bar in the East Village. It was on 4th <laughs> between A and B, and it was called Invino. And, uh, but it was really a restaurant at the end of the day. Well, it started as a wine bar. It did. And we, I've had this conversation with Keith, and this is why I, I was really interested in this, because that's the necessity of New York, right? Like, you, the rent is too expensive. Right, but then gas was yeah. installed. Exactly. Gas was installed, and it was time to go. Uh, although I would like the meatball recipe, Keith. Uh, you know, whatever you want to pass that along, dude. Um, but like it was, but it had a ridiculous wine list. And I will say the thing about Invino, not to like, you know, inflate Keith's ego, is that the all the dishes did go very well with the wine. There was no dish that like blew your palate out. And it, they uh-huh. really did help heighten the Italian wines on the list. But I don't know. I, I've always wondered like, is is there an is there a perfect wine bar? Is there a true definition of what a wine bar is? Am I just like nitpicking here, or like should I have been like, oh, it's totally fine to expect that there's like super spicy food here as well? Like, what is a wine bar, guys? <laughs> yeah, I think you kind of you, you kind of nailed it earlier, right? It's a it's a place where. Like, as far as I'm concerned, the menu of food isn't so extensive, right? Like, there should be some bites and snacks, but the expectation when you go to this place shouldn't be to have a whole meal of food. And I think that, like you said, the food options that are available should complement the extensive wine list. Like, that should be thoughtful or basic. Um, And I thought what was so interesting, and you shared this with me earlier before recording about your experience was that they were very concerned, you know, in making recommendations to Mm -hmm. you, Naomi, were very concerned about the food being interesting. Yes. Right. Like it wouldn't, oh, this wouldn't be interesting if we took the meat away or the fish away or something like that. And I feel like that, that is a fault on their part, right? Like it should, it should be the wine, right? Right. If it's a wine bar, otherwise it's a restaurant with a good wine program, right? Like I was, I was interested. It was very interesting to me that like, they wanted our food order before we chose the wine instead of being like, hey, what do you guys want to drink? And then helping us figure out the the dishes that would go with what we wanted mm-hmm. to drink, which, again, to me, says it's a restaurant first. Right. And, again, I think a lot of places that would try to say their wine bars would say things like um, – well, yeah, but we're trying to be the anti-wine bar. Like, we're just cool and fun and, like, whatever you want to drink with whatever you want to eat. Mm-hmm. But I find, like, then there's really no, like, opportunity to, to, like, really elevate the wine. I don't know. I also think that there's no cocktail program at a wine bar. And I feel like a lot of wine bars that we've seen recently pop up have cocktail programs, too. But I think they should yeah. just have wine. I agree. <laughs> Go, Zach. I mean, I, I'll say this. I think that a wine bar is kind of a mirage, in the sense of this, I think that a lot of the places, as you guys have both pointed out, there are a lot of places out there that are functionally just 
restaurants that really strongly want to encourage you to also buy wine. And that's yeah. fine. Wine sales help restaurants stay open. And there's nothing wrong with calling attention to your wine program, highlighting it. But yeah, I agree. If you are if you are a place that whose intention is that someone that every person coming through that door is having a meal and also having several glasses of wine, that is your your restaurant. And, and calling yourself a wine bar is sort of like you know whatever. It's it's a kind of branding that I think, uh, as you've clearly pointed mm-hmm. out, Adam, is misleading to potential diners. I will also say this, that one of the problems here is not just an economic one, although I think you also made a good point, Adam, that in a lot of places, the rent for commercial spaces is just too high to allow for a kind of wine bar that we might see in other parts of the world. We might see in Europe or in South America, where there is just a different economic model yeah. for a lot of things. And ha- being an establishment where someone comes in after work and has a glass or two of wine, maybe a little nibble and then goes home. It's just, that's not a business model that's going to work in the United States almost anywhere. And if it's, if it's not going to fly in New York, it's certainly not going to fly in a lot of other places. I mean, rent is maybe a a counterfactual there, but also culture is a, is a piece of it. And, you know, most places in Europe that make that work are, you know, smaller walking cities where people, you know, may take the public transit to, to and from their job, whatever. And having a place to stop by is not, you know, on their way, you know, out the office or on their, you know, way back from the subway station or whatever on the way home is not like, doesn't seem strange. And here in the United States, that's just not how most people operate. Our, our cultural equivalent is happy hour, but those are different kinds of places and it's a different yeah. kind of vibe. And, and it's different. It's not centered around wine all that often. That said, I think you can make wine bars work. Like, I'll give an example of a place I love here in Seattle called Le Cuviste, which is very intentionally modeled on yeah. a Parisian wine bar. And they very intentionally have, a, for lack of a better word, a theme, right? And that is their theme. It's all French wine. It's, you know, largely glass pours. It's They're not trying to be fancy. So the stemware is what you would find in a casual Parisian wine bar. It's not, you know, it's not expensive glassware. The food offerings are almost exclusively, like, you know, a combination of cheeses, cured meats, a few other things, you know, tartare, et cetera, that are mm-hmm. relatively simple to prepare, most of which are, are you know, prepared ahead of time and then just plated to order. And it works. And it's a place that you can certainly go and eat enough of those things to have a meal. And I've done that before. But you can also just come in for a glass of wine or two and, you know, a little something to eat. But it's a very small space. Mm-hmm. It's tucked in. It's in downtown Seattle. And they're not trying to do a ton of volume. And, and I think they more or less make it work. But that's like a rarity. And I think, you know, there, I'm sure we can find examples throughout the country of other places in that ilk that work. But the real problem I see is that one that that you guys have both articulated, which is for a certain kind of establishment that has that aspires to a kind of relevance through its food. A wine bar is just the wrong format for that because, yes, in, in a good wine bar, a, a place that's centering its wine program, the food should exist to support that. It should not exist to get acclaim, attention, awards on its own. And, like, that's a hard sell for a lot of places, including a lot of places, obviously, that have an ambitious mm-hmm. chef behind them. But even for places that don't, like, it's hard to stand out just, you know, like, posting pictures of glasses of wine on Instagram yeah. doesn't really get people in the door. Yeah, we've yeah. talked about that before. We have. I mean, I feel like... The only place in New York, now we're going to play the game of is there an ultimate wine bar in New York. <laughs> the only place in New York that I think you could say is a wine bar. And it, it has, and and I think, Zach, what it does well, and I think you've been here before. You definitely have. So maybe you'll guess. Is it has like that it's dark and dim and feels moody. Yeah. Do you know what I'm going to say? 
the ten crowd. bells. Yeah, ten bells. Yeah, that's the old. But wasn't ten bells originally there. in Paris? Did I make this up? Like, wasn't it came, this a- sort of came from Paris, right? Like a weird, like, oh, yeah. Who knows? I think so. Yeah, they are from there. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, it it, it again. They, there's like there's always some puff pastry esque thing. There's cheeses, but like there's oysters, but they're not doing like really intense dishes. And you are there for the wines, which are changing all the time. And they're like, I'm not, you're not as fussed about the glass because also the wines are all pretty affordable. That's the other thing that I think is crazy about some of the wine bars that exist. Again, I get this economics, but so many of the glass pours are so expensive. I mean, Tim actually told me a story you know, host of Cocktail College, that he was at the same wine bar I went to for my anniversary in Williamsburg. And basically he and his friend had gotten two glasses that had been recommended by the Psalm and the Psalm never told them the prices, which is like, oh, I think you'll like this and this. And they get the bill and his friend's glass was $15 and his was 45 Oh, jeez. And wow. I was like, wow. Like you, you rarely see a $45 glass of wine at a nice, nice, nice restaurant. And I get yeah. that, like, again, they want to have this wine bar. Like, well, we, we, you know, we're a wine bar. We open crazy bottles that you would normal, not never normally order at a restaurant, blah, blah, blah. But, like, Tim said he was, like, floored. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, obviously, wound up not splitting the bill with his friend, like one normally would, but <laughs> saying, like, look, dude, I'm going to, like, pick this up because this is insane. But I think that's also really hard. Like, I, I, what I love about a really true wine bar is this ability to like try lots of different glasses or like what's exciting right now. Like you have lots of things open, you have lots of accessible bottles. You know, I think what makes it hard about places that claim to be wine bars as well, where like the majority of the bottles are like, especially again, I'm talking New York prices, like 80, 90 and above is like, who is this for? Yeah. I think that's where trying to recreate something that they have in Europe or in Paris, like you were saying earlier, Zach, that's where it goes wrong. And then I, I think that's where they try to compensate with more robust food offerings or a full menu because you can't get someone in there and charge them $45 for a glass of wine and not have like food because nobody will go to that wine bar if there's not more of a draw. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think I think a, a question that I'm really curious to both of you about because because I think it comes back to sort of even whether wine bars really serve a purpose is I think you know you've you guys just got at something that I think is intriguing which is this idea and we've talked about it before in some ways about you know wine bars as a point of discovery for wine and whether there's really a lot of that going on or not whether people are really trying something at a wine bar or any other restaurant that has a you know extensive glass pour list or whatever and taking that and being like okay now I'm going to go buy a bottle of this at the wine shop or I'm going to order six bottles online or whatever the thing someone might do but I also think that we have also entered this realm where so many wine bars maybe understandably to create a sort of draw for themselves have moved into the realm of true obscure mm. wine. Yeah. Right. They're, they're really emphasizing obscure varieties from, you know, kind of out of the way corners of the world or, or places that people don't tend to associate with wine production. They're, you know, highlighting, you know, very small producers and, and any one of those things I think is fine. I think there's a great thing about the world of wine in 2022 is that there is so much out there. There are so many different expressions of wine that people can find. And yet, when your wine bar program, your wine list program is so opaque to even people who drink a lot of wine, who try different things, I do think that you end up in a position where, you know, like the story about Tim is like this kind of 
place where I think a lot of people leave those kinds of venues, even if they're not being charged $45 exactly for a glass of wine, feeling hoodwinked, yeah. like they've spent a lot of money potentially without getting a feeling like they've gotten a lot. They might have drank a wine that they didn't particularly love, but because the list is full of unfamiliar things to them, they either, you know, got talked into something or picked something based on a description or, or, or you know, looking it up online or whatever. And I'm not saying that every no you know, wine bar shouldn't or wine list shouldn't just be like playing the classic hits all over and over again. I think it's important to experiment. But I do think that we've gotten to this place where to get a certain kind of attention, a lot of these places that open are really looking at a mix of trends. And this is where my tin fish rant is going to come in a <laughs> yeah, minute. Yeah, please. Let's but bring also it. They're looking bring at, it. Bring it. Well, bring they're, it. Yeah. <laughs> they're also looking at, I think, just you know, tr- trading in, in, like I said, in esoterica as a way to create a brand for themselves. And, you know, I just think the truth is that there's only so much great undiscovered wine out there. There's a lot more kind of mediocre undiscovered wine and it's mediocrity is why it's undiscovered. <laughs> okay. I will give the tin yep. fish thing. Our problem with tin fish as a concept, like I think the, the, it can be tasty. I like a lot of those things. I do kind of come back to this idea though of like, you talk about spicy food blowing out your palate and really kind of like changing the perception of wine. And when you combine oily, salty, like briny, fishy, and metallic flavors, there are so few wines on the planet that can really, truly work with those. I don't mean to say that there are none, but your options, if you really want to work with the flavors of tin fish, are basically like fino sherry, other like kinds cut, of like oxidative yeah. whites like really high acid white wines. And like, I like some of those things fine. They're not all I want to drink. And yet you see people out here trying to pass off the, you know, their, their sardines paired with like Beaujolais because they're both trendy. (laughs) And it's like, that shit goes terribly (laughs) together, but you're convincing people that because these two things are on trend that like they work together. Like that's just nonsense. And, and I think that like, you know, cured fish is fine. It's cool. It's also comically expensive in a lot of cases. And I don't really understand totally why like even some of these things just buying them retail you're paying like 13 dollars for a can of sardines i like i okay sure that sounds great to me i just the whole thing is just it's like i think it's this kind of weird combination of like it seems healthy because it's like fish and it's you know seems kind of weirdly environmentally friendly because it's like it's preserved fish i just do you guys like this like why is this trendy I mean, look, I love tin fish. Um, I think I really enjoy anchovies, sardines, things like that. I think it's trendy because it's also very low lift, right? You, you, you don't, mm-hmm. again, it's the same thing. Like what changed in vino? It didn't go electric. It went gas. And, uh, you know, I think the, there's, it allows for these bars, especially in different areas to exist in places where the rent might be a little cheaper, actually, right? Because they don't have space for a full kitchen. Um, they might not have space, you know, they might not want to pay for full prep, sous chef, executive chef, et cetera, to like really push out the food that some people might expect in a larger space. So you get to have this like beauty, you be like this beautiful idea of like tin fish, and everyone mm-hmm. thinks it feels like really trendy and cool. And it's kind of along the same lines of, Natural wine in some, in, you know, it's like this this yep. whole thing, you know, it feels authentic. I was just going to say that. I think that something that happens with tin fish is that is very similar to natural wine. You have, it's um 
it's an acquired taste. Yes. Not for everyone, right? Stinky tin trash fish. Nobody likes that except I like that. So I feel I'm kind of cool, right? Because I like something that everyone thinks is gross. Yeah. Which is the thing, right? (laughs) It's the same thing with natural wine. The funkier, the better, right? Like, and I think it suggests that maybe the person who likes them has a more sophisticated mm-hmm. palate um, because, Ooh, you know, who eats anchovies, that's gross. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, and I think that then they started cropping up in place, trendy places mm-hmm. and trendy wine bars and restaurants and, and people really latched onto it. Like we really, and now there's this whole market of very expensive boutique tin fish with these beautiful labels yep. not just stuff from like portugal or spain or anything yep. like that because that's like where it was originally coming from um but now they're made here and and people <laughs> yeah it's like super trendy now and i think that that's a big part of it too yeah i think totally i'm also gonna raise i want to raise one little red flag here too which is like i don't this is just guesswork on my part Same. but i would be very dubious about like a lot of these brands kind of position themselves they sort of have a veneer of environmental consciousness to them because you're eating like ethically trash fish and blah 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 i feel like i would be extremely careful taking those claims just at face value just uh, like a lot of the brands that have popped up recently like mm, i'm dubious Mm -hmm. let's put it that way also, like what Tin Fish allows you to do is either you can plate it in the tin, right? You can like take it out and replate it, which sure. a lot of places do. And then like people are like, oh, I'm eating out of a tin. Mm-hmm. Or you can take the fish out and like plate it really simply on a white plate. We've all seen this, right? It's like the white plate or like <laughs> the plate that is white on the outside, but then the, but then the outside of the plate is unfinished pottery. I mean, there's a lot of people who've become known for that look now, Heath, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it's that like sort of fine dining. Like it's like, I'm not rich, but I'm rich. Like yeah, dinnerware. Yeah, extremely expensive dinnerware. Yeah, extremely <laughs> expensive. But like, that's what, that's what someone's always, that's what someone's always explained, like explained Heath to me. It's like, it's like, oh, I'm, I don't look rich, but I'm rich. But then you can just like do the, like the tin fish, in a, you know, in a row, all laid out perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then just some olive oil. And everyone's like, some oh my. Sea salt. Yeah. And then everyone's like, I will pay $30 for this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, you know, that's, that's the thing. And, I think that's why it's become so popular. But I will argue, at least in that respect, it is a somewhat of a simple dish for some whites, right, Zach? Like some whites will go well with those with that kind of stuff. I'm not not saying I'm gonna chow down on some of the some of the bigger reds, but you know, I, I would still argue that some of those places are more of what I would think of as a wine bar than people who are trying to push out full appetizer entree or a full fish dessert or a full fish like i had <laughs> there was just just a whole fish butterflied open nothing else and i was like oh loud like it was just <laughs> this is too much you know meanwhile my wife ate a salad because uh, they literally would not accommodate vegetarians so i mean that's i think the the thing that's really interesting like i don't know it's just you're right like the wine bar term is just so weird mm-hmm I will add this one last thing, which is that I think, you know, every so often, um, Caitlin is like, or my wife or other people sometimes are like, oh, you know, would you ever open a wine bar? And to me, like, people ask me a lot of questions about what I might do professionally over in time. And, um, you know, fair, but like the wine bar to me is that is the thing I am least interested in doing for the reasons that we've articulated. They're hard to make work. You either end up turning yourself into a restaurant, which is fine. Restaurants are great, but that's a totally different enterprise. 
or you kind of are inevitably pushing the same rock up the same hill, which is trying to explain to people like what you are doing conceptually. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't want that in yeah. my life. It's too much stress. Yeah. I agree. Sorry, I agree. Keith. Well, <laughs> now we'd like to know what you think. Let me know what a wine bar is. What do you think a wine bar is? Tell us your favorite wine bar. And tell us your favorite wine bars. You know, do you guys have a favorite wine bar? Mm, I, I feel like two. Racine used to be kind of somewhat hybrid wine bar. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It's been reinvented. But also had a lot of food. Had a lot of food. I would say for me, the, the two are Lalu, which I don't, is more of a restaurant as we've determined, and then Sims and Skins. Mm. Those would be probably yeah, my, Sims my, and Skins yeah. was Sims the best. Skins was great. I had a wonderful experience there. Yeah, I already shouted out Look of East here yes. in Seattle, but uh, yeah. always a winner. And actually my friend Aaron Tocolvi, who uh, runs a combination wine bar and also fine dining restaurant, kind of sharing the same space, but they're very different. Um, but his wine bar concept is very much in line with what we were talking about. So Thanks. I dig that. Cool. Let us know. Podcast at vinepair.com. And uh, Joanna Zach, I'll talk to you Friday. Talk to you then. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.